Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, we are into another week of our Escape Hatch series, and I'm so excited to be joined by Mariah Pelletier, former ambulance communications officer, now working in dispatch at a fire department in southwestern Ontario. Mariah took on a role as an account coordinator and social media manager for Crackle Magazine, a firefighter lifestyle and health magazine that focuses on the individual rather than the industry. She's a PTSD survivor and single mom of two girls. She's juggling it all with determination and grace, and I am thrilled to get to talk to her once again today. Mariah's been on the show once before, but a lot has changed since we last connected. So I hope you enjoy this as we dive in. Well, welcome back, Mariah. It's so good to have you back with me. It's been ages. I know, like a pandemic ages. Almost, right? Yeah, yeah it's been yeah. a while. And a lot has changed in your life since the last time we talked. So why don't we kind of start from the beginning? Because I'm guessing there's probably some people who didn't hear the other episode that you joined me for and don't know like the back back story to your world. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also been some updates in your life since the last time that we talked here. Mm-hmm. So why don't you share a little bit about your background as a first responder? Um, what got you into this kind of work and what you're up to these days? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I started about just over 14 years ago. Um, I got out of university and got stuck in a full-time retail job and not really sure what the hell to do with my life, as a lot of people can probably relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was dating a paramedic at the time, and, and she basically said to me, you should do 911 call taking. Like You would be good at that. Yeah. And I thought about it before, but never seriously. So she's like, you should do this. You would be good at it. So I took the course and basically learned, which is funny now, because in the course I had to write a 50-page paper about an emergency service, so I had to sit in for four hours with with one of them, and I sat there going, 50 pages for one service? No, that's not happening. So I used it as more of like a guide to see what service I wanted to work for. Okay. Um, And I very quickly found out that I didn't want to work for fire, which is funny now, because that's (laughs) exactly what I do. Um, yeah. So anyways, got started, finished that course, got hired for ambulance dispatch here in Ontario, did that for about 10 years and escape rooted to fire dispatch. And then, um, I'm still doing that along with working for my buddy Corey's, um, firefighter magazine called crackle. So it's a Mm -hmm. lifestyle and health and wellness magazine that uh, he started and I do account coordinating for him and, uh, social media stuff. So that's been, it's been a good 
switch. That is a fun escape hatch and Mm -hmm. so fantastic for the topic that we've got to chat about. Mm -hmm. I know that you, like, just like you said, have been in this work for quite some time. And I'm curious about when you first started, what you thought it was going to be like, like, what did you think you were signing up for? What were your expectations walking in the door? Um, I kind of understood I was in the world of, of emergency medical services by, you know, my girlfriend at the time. Um, so I understood a lot of what she had gone through and what kind of calls. So I expected, um, I expected it to be high stress, uh, life or death. I expected, um, my decisions to, to weigh heavily on outcomes. Um, I expected the shift working, no sleeping, awful sleep patterns. Uh, I kind of expected the crappy nutrition, just mm-hmm. feeding yourself with whatever you got at the time. And I knew it was going to be a lot, um, kind of with being part-time because at ambulance you have to wait for full-time for six or seven years because the, the yeah. job turnover rate for full-time is quite awful there. Um, so I knew that was going to be a while. Um, yeah, I just kind of expected it to be this high-stress, crazy environment, and I had no idea when I first got hired how I was going to be in that pretty much until the first time I sat in and started doing it. Hmm. So what were the early days of that like for you? Like when when you walk in with some of these expectations coming in the door and then you're in it for that first like couple of years and you're acquiring the skill sets and you're just kind of thrown into doing this shit. How did you find it? Like, did it feel like it met expectations? Did it feel like you kind of rose to the challenge of what that would be? Did you surprise yourself about how that was for you? Yeah. I mean, I think my whole life, anything that I've been any good at at all, I've had to work really hard for. Hmm. Um, whether it be sports or literally anything, I always had to work really hard for it until I started working at EMS dispatch. I sat in that desk and I was, I felt automatically good at it. Like I didn't have to work Hmm. hard for it at all. And it was a strange feeling because I mean, you look back at, I guess my childhood and you look at how I reacted to certain situations and my parents are like, well, of course you'd be good at that. I'm like, well, I don't know. Tell me this earlier, you know, like, come on, throw me a yeah. bone here. But even in any situation I've ever had, like if shit hits the fan, I got you. Yeah. It's it's after the shit has left the fan that I'd start dealing with it. So like yeah. in the middle of the shit, I'm good. I got you. I got this. Yeah. Like my, my level doesn't change. And you know, whether I had zero available ambulances to send on, four different calls waiting, or if I had too many and I didn't know where to put them afterwards, my, mm-hmm. my demeanor was always the same. And I find when I got home after the end of the shift, that's when I was like, holy shit, that was crazy day. Yeah. And I packed it away, not dealt with it. Um, and I think I, I realized the magnitude of that, of that high mm-hmm. adrenaline and nowhere to go but I don't think I really considered how that would affect me and how it would compound into something bigger where there was really no, there was no reaching me at that point. You know, I always, I always pride myself in that job with my ability to um, take care of people. Yeah. um, Impacting them every day. Like literally every day I helped and changed someone's life. That was just the norm. But 
the magnitude of how that would make me feel and how important that would make my job and what I did feel to me, that was surprising. I didn't expect that. Um, and I think that's the human factor in it too, because, you know, all these really good things that came out of it, there's always these really bad things that also came out of it. So, you know, the hardest part that I didn't realize that kind of hit me later on when I started actually dealing with my shit was, you know, you talk about bad days, you talk about good days, you know, but you, when you talk about bad days, even though you didn't have any control over anything, like you don't have control where the calls come in, where they are in relation to the paramedics that you're sending to these calls. Like I've been responsible and I know it's, it's a weird thing to say, mm. but for sending people on their worst day, God. like that bad call that paramedic went on, I carry that as my fault. Yeah. If I had just, you know, and it's, it's funny because if I just sent someone else, but you can't, you right. really can't because there's a law that says that calls there, that crew's there, they're closest in time, boom, they get it. Mm-hmm. But I still, I put a lot of that responsibility on my own shoulders because when they had a bad call and a bad day, I had a direct connection to that. And mm-hmm. that affected me in a lot of ways that I didn't quite realize even at the time. Yeah. You named something a minute ago that I actually really appreciated. Um, And it's this like noteworthiness about recognizing that we can be really good at something and that that doesn't change, that it has a dramatic impact for us, right? Like I can, I think I hear this a lot where I hear people say, you know, I was a natural born helper. I was always that kid in school that was there for everybody. I was always that person that no matter what crisis unfolded, I was the steady one. I have these like personal factors that make me kick ass at this. And I think that that makes us feel kind of invincible in it, right? Like I'm so good at it and I'm naturally good at it. Like I had to work for everything else that was good in my life, but this I didn't. It just came easy. It was so good. I was so aligned to it. But that doesn't protect us from the impact of what we're then exposed to. And if anything, I think it can kind of make us almost a bit lackadaisical to it because it's so easy to just like anchor to I'm really good at this. So I just show up and I do it and I go home and I just show up and do it and go home. And I don't have to put effort into like unpacking that and analyzing it and considering how to do it different and better because I'm already doing it just fine. And so it incrementally adds up to the point that I don't even kind of notice how it's getting harder and worse until it's so bad that it dumps us. For the last two years, we have offered the self-care dare five day challenge for first responders and frontline workers. It is an intensive, amazing community experience of trying to learn skills for self-care that go beyond commercialism and bubble baths. It goes deeper and it becomes a personal wellness plan that you can implement and repeat to ensure that you remain sustainable in the job that you do. If you are wrestling or walking the line to burnout, or if you are way past that line already, or even better, if you want to prevent coming near that line to begin with, sign up and join us for the very last time that we will be offering the self-care dare as a live five-day challenge. 
We plan to continue offering the dare in some way, shape or form, but it's going to look different. This is the last time we're going to be offering it with a community based Facebook group where we can connect with each other, where you can ask questions of me and we can work together to map through this process together. So if you have been wanting to take the dare and you haven't yet, this is the time to join. It is only $10 and it gives you five days of really quick, short video lessons that teach you about five key principles for self-care. It also gives you worksheets to help brainstorm ideas. And we in the Facebook group dive deeper into how we're going to personalize the skills outlined in the program to make them deep and meaningful and applicable to your life. You get to connect with me, you get to connect with others. It is an awesome, fun time. And everyone who's completed the course has really, really enjoyed it. Registration for the Self-Care Dare opens today, Tuesday, June 21st, and will remain open until 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Monday, July 4th. At that point in time, those who have registered will get to join me in the Self-Care Dare starting on July 5th and running through the 9th. Check the show notes for the link. Your face is speaking volumes. I wish people could see it. I'm like, yes. I know. It's, like, it's all of the things. Like, And I mean, uh, and that's just that's just its own little ball in itself because then you have these other factors of like, shitty ass management that basically mm-hmm. sees you as a number on a board and nothing else. So there's, you know, there's these things like you take a horrific call and you call in sick because you just, you just know mentally you can't, you can't do it. Yeah. And your manager calls and says, you need to provide them with a sick note, which I mean, he talked about it on your podcast about that one extra thing on your to-do list now that makes it just all crumble and how people in leadership and management roles don't understand how that affects people in such a negative way. Like, yeah, it could be nothing for you to ask me for a sick note, but my day that's like, fuck this shit. I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I don't even ah. have a doctor, so good luck to you. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, again, right? Like, and it, it could sound like such a simple task, right? Just get a sick note. But can we hold for a second that that is not a simple task in our system right now? Like, you add COVID as a layer. You add the fact that there's a shortage of family doctors. Like, how do you get that? How do you get that in the day? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be on the phone for another mm-hmm. week let alone call a doctor's office to ask them for a sick note because I'm having a mental crisis and the lack of care and all that. And I mean, you know, it's funny because I mean, an ambulance dispatch in particular, it's, it surprises me in the fact that most of these people in these roles now have done this job. They know how you take that call that adrenaline kicks in and there's nowhere to go. You know, I talk about a call I took, and it was this kid, multi-system trauma. It was a beautiful, perfect orchestra of call because the timing was perfect. The air ambulance was was flying yeah. overhead and just popped down, like almost beat our land crew. It was a beautiful yeah. call. And then that's it. They take mm-hmm. the patient out and that's it. You don't have any closure. You don't have any information later on. And then fast forward five years, I'm reading the local newspaper and it talks about this kid that's going back to school after this horrific car crash. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, shit. Five years later, I get closure on what happened to my patient. Mm 
Yeah. Which it's one of those other things that you don't expect to affect you, but it, I was reading it going, holy shit, like pointing it out to everybody, guys, this is, this is the kid, you know, we and did this, guys. We did this. he's alive. Like, yes. how? I don't know how, but he is, look, you know, yeah. and, and how in that moment, it was one of those calls that, I mean, you say it didn't affect me at all. Obviously it did, but you're not really cognizant of the fact it does mm-hmm. until you get that closure. And for, yeah. for EMS dispatchers, that's, that's probably the worst part that I didn't expect is totally. you don't ever, you don't, one, you don't have a place for your adrenaline to go. And, mm-hmm. and two, you don't find out anything. You have no closure over any calls. Drives my parents yeah. crazy. I tell my dad some, some calls and he's like, and then what? I'm like, I'm sorry. That's all I got. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it ends there. The story ends. It's like, well, there's no <laughs> ending. I'm like, it's not a proper story, but that's what you get. But I mean, yes. imagine that living it though. Like you're hearing the totally. story. But... Sorry. And Ken. every day for every call. Yeah. And then you take a call like that. And then your next call is for a sweet little old lady that, you know, has abdominal pain. So you just mm-hmm. roll with it, you know, totally. and you're shaking with adrenaline and you're like, how are you breathing normally? <laughs> yes. Well, and there is, it's funny because I think that I hear that kind of across the board. And I think I mentioned this in a podcast episode a while back that like, you know, the call taker gets the end of the story to where the extent of like medics are there and are doing the job now. So you're done. I need to move on to the next call. Medics get it to the point that they like turf in hospital. They don't know what happens after that. Fire does, right? Fire comes in and helps medics and then medics wheel away and fire doesn't know what happens after that, right? Like nurses yeah. and emerge, do what they can and then turf to the unit and don't mm-hmm. know what happens after that. And so like across the board for those who are in this kind of like frontline effort, there is this same sense of like suspended, I don't know what the fuck happens after my part is done. And so like my part is cool and I can know I did my best job, but I have no idea what what difference that made, what it, what it matters in the grand scheme of things. Cause I don't get the end of the story more often than not. Right. Yeah. And, and even like when you're, you're in a call, I mean, there's, there's some really nice factors in it. My favorite calls, it's going to sound, <clears throat> people will get it that listen to this podcast, but um, one of my favorite calls is febrile seizure calls. They were always mm-hmm. my favorite because you start off with parents at like a level 110. Yes. You know? And and then the, the goal within a couple of seconds is to have them back to like a four or five somewhere in yes. there, you know, because it is scary. It is scary to witness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're that calm voice on the other end. And I remember taking one call where it was like 120 and then I got her down to a four or five. And then she was like, oh my gosh, they tell you about this, but they don't really tell you about what it's like. Like, you're really good at this. Like, wow. Like I started screaming at you. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> like, totally. I take this call a hundred times a day for the most part, you know, but, but yeah. and then, you know, to get that satisfaction of, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's probably like one out of every 600 calls you'd ever take. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that lack of, Um, it's the lack of knowing what happens at the end of the story. Like, how do we bookend that? But it is also the feedback. Like, there isn't a lot of feedback. I remember when 
um, when I had my son, we had a really traumatic birth experience with my son. And afterwards, I had said to my husband, I don't have the energy to do it, but I need you to write a card for every nurse that was involved in that because I'm sorry to them. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry and I'm grateful. Like, they, they, I almost punched one of them um, in the moment. Like, they had to, I was supposed to, I should have been a C-section and wasn't. Um, and so one of them, I don't know what the procedure is called, but she literally like stood on top of me and dropped her entire body weight onto my stomach to get him out. And I lunged, uh, like it was not voluntary. Uh, and I felt so badly cause I'm like, I know you're just doing your job, but like tiger mom has just emerged from nowhere. It was the <laughs> awfulest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, and so it's so fascinating because I'm like, I just need them to know that like that not like <laughs> I'm sorry that, and I'm grateful. Like, just maybe maybe pass it along. Mom, not necessarily an actual reaction of the sweet persona that I am. <laughs> I, know, like, I promise this isn't me, but oh my god, I might have killed you that day. Right. Like it's just it's a thing. There isn't that like sense of I I did good. I I did well, I feel anchored to what that is. So we have to do so much of that evaluating ourselves. And that feels hard to sometimes have like a solid benchmark of. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And then you have, you know, back to the management aspect where at dispatch here in Ontario, we have um, percentages we have to hit. We have to ask the questions the exact way they're written, you mm -hmm. know? So if we don't, if we deviate from that in any way, then we get percentages. So okay. You know, take a birthing call, for example, and because I didn't say, can you see any part of the baby? You know, if I said, can you see the baby mm -hmm. and whatever, you used to get these little pins when there was a successful birth mm -hmm. on the phone. But if you didn't get it perfect, you didn't get a pin, which is absolutely asinine in so many reasons, because uh -huh. is that baby in this world healthy? And did I... Did I have a direct correlation to that? hundred percent I did. But now yeah. I've got feedback that says, well, you weren't good enough. Yeah. And, and that system is so broken in so many ways because now you have these people who they're growing to not give a shit. And, you know, because they're not hitting their percentages, they're, they're looked at upon as, as deficient in some way. And it's, right. it's completely, it's, it's degrading. And for the people who are still there, like, it's mm. it's awful. It's an awful way to live. But I can see that now because of where I am on the other side. Right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the like learning about where I was and the transition effort to the other side. What did that look like for you? Like what made you decide I need to do something different here? And then how did you make a decision about what to do differently? So, I mean, it, it, it was a, for me, it was an accumulation of, of, shitty calls and no support and the idiocy of not getting help that I needed at the time. Um, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but um, I knew I needed to get out because I wasn't going to survive it. So I had started looking for other means of, of employment at other emergency services for a while. Um, I got a job offer um, for another service that I'm actually, that I shot down. Um, so I was offered this job I was still married at the time and I said, you know, I got this, what should I do? No support there. So I said, you know what, give me a week with it. So I was taking a week, a couple days later, I wake up 
and all over Facebook is one of our um, paramedic services uh, emblem everywhere with the black line through it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit. So message one of my friends and we had lost one of our paramedics to suicide. And that's when I said, nope, can't leave. Can't leave now. Nope. I got to see, I got to see my way through this grief. I got to see my paramedics way through this grief. Because in that job, I took a lot of, a lot of care in their daily lives. So they knew they could call me and bitch about not having a break. They could call me and bitch about whatever, or I would call Mm -hmm. and I would ask about their kids and how, you know, their dance competitions went or whatever. So I, I really formed these super awesome interpersonal relationships with these people. Uh, whereas before it was very line divided between paramedics and dispatch. So I blurred a lot of those lines. Um, so, you know, after we lost the paramedic, I was like, no, I can't, I gotta, I can't. So I said, forget about that job. I'm going to stay, see what rolls out. This is the universe telling me something. Um, universe probably got mad at me because that was the universe telling me to get the fuck out actually. And I was like, no, no, I should stay. Um, I misinterpreted the universe that time. Uh The opposite of what the universe was trying to tell me. Um, so I got through that year and then took the world's crappiest call and basically said, now's the time or I'm not going to survive. Um, and started applying. I got, uh, hired at the fire department and, Basically, it was one of those things where it was either I needed to get out or I needed to go on leave. And for me, leave wasn't an option for a few reasons. Um, By that point in my marriage, I was already a single parent. So I was basically working that job and also when I was off taking care of the kids by myself, Um, which was hard because I didn't have much support that way. So I knew that if I was going to go off, I wasn't going to get the time that I needed to to heal. So I knew that wasn't an option for me. Um, but yeah, there was a job came up at the fire department. I applied and I got it and I said, see ya the fuck later to EMS. And it was the best decision I have ever made in my life. And I a hundred percent believe that that saved me because had I not, I'm not sure I'd be here talking to you, to be honest. Yeah. Fair enough. What is the difference been for you in terms of working with fire versus working with EMS? Um, I go to work for a break now, (laughs) which is hilarious. No, it's, it's just the support. I think, I mean, I, I got to fire in the summer. I got divorced by Christmas. (laughs) Like, so I wasn't even off probation. Like couldn't get a mortgage because my job was still on probation kind of thing. And the way that these people supported me in all of it was I get, I get emotional about it because Like they didn't even know me really and slept on their couches. Like I had to move and 10 guys showed up with their Dodge Rams because every firefighter is a Dodge (laughs) I was moved in a couple hours. Like I needed people to work for me. They came in, no questions asked. Like I had a call from from a guy. I had gone through mediation with my ex-wife and it was a really shitty lawyer day. And I got home from that really shitty lawyer day and he called me or he messaged me out of the blue and he said hey i heard today might have been hard i hope you're okay mm-hmm. and i messaged him back i was like it was actually a shit day and he called me and this is a guy that i have never worked with actually yet because i'd been there so such a few times and yeah. and he was calling to let me know like if there's anything i need you know i got 52 big brothers just ready to come and show up and whatever and 
I hung up the phone and I started bawling my eyes out. Not because I was sad, but because I was like, holy shit. Okay, universe, I get it. I made a good choice. Okay. Like, I can't handle this. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry I didn't take your advice before, but, uh, like, relax now. Yeah. And I mean, it's just the support, even, it's just overwhelming. You know, like, taking a, a call, we had a, we had a fire fatality. And for me, fine and good. I sent, I sent the wee-woos when I was supposed to. I did all the things. And uh, they had a huge debriefing after. They had me involved. They had people come in to take care of, like, all the calls that were happening so we could all sit down and do this. And then um, that night, I got a text from one of the peer support team members saying, hey, I heard you had a crap call. I'm here if you need to talk. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm, I'm good, but all right. And then the next morning, same thing. Hey, I heard you had a crappy call yesterday. A different te- peer support team member. And I was like, holy shit, guys. Like, I that call was fine. 100% fine, but like actually fine instead of saying, you know, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. But can we talk about the last 10 years? Like, <laughs> like can I use you for other things, please? Yeah. Ugh. And it yeah. was like, holy shit. Like, just night mm. and day. Like, and I say the grass is pretty green over here because honestly, like mm-hmm. it really is. Yeah. I mean, I love that. Like when we talk about this idea of like an escape hatch and having a side hustle or whatever, when it comes to having an, an out from the work, I think that people often gravitate to this idea that it has to be something totally different, right? Like I have to have this like separate career that I cultivate somehow on the side of my existing one. And then I transition to that has nothing to do with frontline work at all. And I don't think that that's true. I think that there can be really great, like career adjacent options that exist that utilize the same skill set, but utilize it a little bit differently. And I think I see that in a lot of people who like shift from being in the work to like being an instructor at a local university in that kind of pro right like to be a medic but then to transition to being a teacher in some kind of medic program or i see people who shift into like event work right like i've seen corrections officers shifted to like security for concerts and big events and and it's just like it's a change of pace it's a change of expectations it's a change of the amount of pressure and can we utilize existing skill sets that we have invested hard in cultivating? We don't have to like scrap all of it and be like, well, that life's over and I'm never touching any of those skills again. Mm-hmm. There's lots of ways that those can apply into things that are really similar or overlapping, but are maybe with a different group that all it takes is a little bit of like nearby training in order to adjust to. Yeah. And I mean, it does take some adjustment period. I had a, I had a period of adjustment for a while there where you know, I go from this high impact, highly impactful career choice to, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and and knock on fire dispatchers, but, you know, to go from that to, I really don't change lives every day. I don't impact lives in, in what I thought at the time was a meaningful way. You know, I was kind of felt lost for a while because, you know, you have this letdown of, well, okay, well, could I have done that job? No, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it for a multitude of reasons, but like, was it, did it really have anything to do with me? But you internalize that. You say, yeah, if I was only so such and such enough or mm-hmm. whatever. So I struggled for a while, you know, switching over and 
having this this idea of you know this peeling away the job from the person and really trying to figure out where my place was and i didn't really have that outlet really until my buddy Corey approached me about working for this magazine you Mm -hmm. know and it was it was something that was again directly related really to the line of work and my passions are because i am huge advocate for health and wellness and emergency services like i i can't say enough about you either either but you know it allowed me to feel important if that makes any sense you know give me that contribution piece yeah and a huge in a big way because you know he approached me about this account coordinating and i said well what is it and he basically explained it as like data management i was like shit dude i do that every day like (laughs) you know new software i'll learn that sure and then you know i loved his magazine since he started it basically so i was always a huge fan And then, you know, we had this conversation about um, me doing the social media because my creativity level is quite high and whatever. So it's really allowed me to really throw my energy into something that is that I'm passionate about, but something that is important. And I feel like it's important. Totally. I mean, that's 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 the stuff, right? Like I. spoke a couple weeks ago now at the time that this will come out um, about how this looks in my life. And I know I don't do the same thing that you guys do. I'm not front line in the same kind of way that you guys are front line, but, but I know that my work is high exposure as well. And I know that I have to be really intentional about my energy and projecting the future. And I think that one of the things we do that's a disservice to emergency responders of whatever kind of nature Uh-oh. is that we, suggest that this is a lifelong career and that that's somehow like that that's the baseline expectation when I think that probably we should orient it more as kind of like we do with athletes right like gymnasts know that they time out at like 22 right most high level athletes know that there is like a window for their physical capacity to do the thing that they do and they have to orient to having that for as long as they can have it but preparedness for what it's going to look like after Because you retire from being a gymnast when you're like 16 half the time and you've already won however many medals at the Olympics, right? Like, because that starts at 12, right? So like, depending on what it is, we recognize that there's kind of like this delineated timeline. We suggest that first response work, frontline work is somehow supposed to be a 30-year career. And yet, is that actually reasonable to expect of ourselves or of others? And should we be orienting that a little bit differently? And if we orient that a little bit differently, we maybe get differently creative about proactively considering what the outs look like, right? So for me, I know that my career as a full-time clinician working explicitly with really complex trauma is probably not something I can do full-time for a 30-year career without going mildly insane myself. And so, right, like I remember thinking, okay, so I'm going to keep some avenues open to like teach. So I've always stayed nearby to the university that I graduated from. And I keep a lot of relationships there just in case that's an avenue I want to pursue someday, which would let me drop down some of my clients and let me shift gears a bit. I will always have some number of clients forever. I'm sure of that. Mm -hmm. But it would be like the ones that really need it the most 
and I could pick and choose how many hours I do. It's part of why this podcast is fun is like it gets to be the creative part of my brain where I enjoy writing. And so I script things out and I brainstorm ideas and it elicits a different part of my brain that's fun, but it still uses this part of me that I've developed a lot of skill in and invested a lot of learning into and it blends the best of both worlds. And then much like you on the side of all of that, I pick up crocheting because it occupies my brain and my hands and keeps me from eating a lot of snacks. And murdering people. Right? <laughs> it's yeah. survival. Everyone needs to crochet. Agreed. 100% agreed. Yeah. It's and it, totally is that, it is that piece about, like you said, you know, understanding the longevity in these careers because, you know, when I started, I thought that was it. You know, in a career like this, okay, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And when you, you get mudded with, well, shit, my rest of my life looks pretty short right now. I need to, I need to Mm -hmm. change it up and do something else. And, and, you know, I guess the important thing to remember is that it doesn't make you less. And I find that's, that's probably the thing that I struggle with the most is that the longevity in this career, I mean, this is not a normal job. You know, and mm-hmm. there's there's no way I can't foresee a lot of longevity forever. You know, they say paramedics, they have a job or a retirement rate of like 5%. Like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> you know, yep. like, yes. I, that's not a lot of people. And mm-hmm. and I want to know who those 5% are, you know, and where right. they were. Right? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Because well, and I want to know how long they lasted after they retired, because that's the other really fantastic question. Yeah, because I mean, the end goal obviously is retirement, but also enjoying your retirement. Like my end of my end of my retirement is just basically retire and stalk my children until they have children of their own. And I'm just going to do that. But I want to be able to enjoy that, you know, like totally with my back intact and my head intact and my heart intact, which is, I guess, right there. Totally. Yeah. Like the number of people that I hear um, talk about finally making it to retirement and and this goes across the board, right? Like I remember having a span of time where I had like five new clients start within a week or two of each other and they were all men in their about to retire or early retirement. And all of them were coming in because retirement was making them insane because we do this thing where we're like, you'll get to golf every day. It'll be awesome. And so we kind of like are baited into this idea of what I'm hoping for. And then I get there and I'm like, actually, I hate all of my friends. I cannot spend this much time with these people. Like they're infuriating and crazy making. I don't like my spouse that much. We haven't really invested that much into our relationship for the past 20 years because we were busy having kids and careers and all the things. So I don't even really know them. I don't particularly like them. I don't really want to travel with them. That sounds awful. And I don't know any of the things that I like because I haven't invested any time or energy into knowing who I am outside of this job that I do. So even if we suspend some of the pieces like the rate of suicide that happens close to or after retirement for your guys' professions, which is stupid high, as well as the rate for physical illness or injury that really eliminates any chance of like a fun retirement, let alone a long retirement, There's then all of these other pieces that are like, we just failed to invest in creating a life that's worth retiring to. And then we get there thinking, this is the pinnacle. This is the thing I've worked so hard for. And then we hate it. And they're coming to see me because they hate it. (laughs) Exactly. And I think, 
I think the thing, like, I, I guess I had, I had a bit of a leg up on, on it because when I, when I went to university, my dad retired. So he's been retired mm-hmm. 20 years now. And that was my end game at yeah. 18 was to yeah. understand that I have X amount of years to work and then retirement. So if, if we would see a shift, it would have to be, okay, your focus is getting this job. What does your retirement look like from that point? Yeah. Because while you're in this job, you got to think about what your life is going to be like without it. And Mm -hmm. at the time you get the job. So it's not like this afterthought of, oh, oh, my retirement's next week. Oh, well, shit. Now what? Oh, darn. What do I take up now? Crocheting? Walking? Like you got to do your stuff and carry it through the entire time because towards the end, it's like, well, well, now what? Now you get to live. So what are you going to do? You're going to peel away this identity piece of what you used to do for a paycheck and then struggle through that and then find something else that you're, you want to do. Yeah. You're calling it. I think I talked a lot on the show last week about this idea of working backwards. So, and I've talked about this before. It's this idea of like, so I do this question myself. I do this with a lot of my clients where I ask this question about, I call it the funeral question, right? So the funeral question goes like this. At your funeral, what do you want people to say about you? What do you hope people remember about you? What are the standout characteristics that you hope people will identify and say, you were like this, right? And then how do you work backwards from that? How do you work from what I hope they'll say so that you are working in present day life to manifest that? So if I want people to say I was a really good friend, but I don't put time into like calling anyone, following up with anybody, remembering dates of things that are important to them, et cetera, probably I'm not going to yield that end result. But if I can know that that's a value I have, that people would think of me that way, then I need to be thinking about what do I invest in today and every day in little ways that contribute towards that being the story that people would tell about who I was in my life, right? I think it's the same concept, right? Like if I want to imagine retiring in a given way, one of the things I really value is travel. So I know that when I retire, travel is going to be a huge part of what I would hope to be able to do. Part of what I know that means is being physically healthy enough to sit on airplanes and do activities that are fun. I don't want to just travel and like sit places. I want to walk and hike and see and do, right? And so it means being like physically well enough. And that means investing now in a physical wellness that allows me to, when I am in my 50s and 60s, be prepared to go and do all of those things without sacrificing my capacity to do them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious about what you would say to others. So for those who are entering the work, who have been in the work for a while, who are maybe experiencing some of the things that you've experienced, what would you advise them around in terms of this whole escape hatch idea? Well, get a therapist, probably like you would get a dentist or an optometrist, probably. (laughs) Even if, if you don't think you need it, you do. Because there are some things that you don't realize that happen that actually affect you more than you let on or you understand. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, find something outside completely of the work or a piece that kind of goes along with the work that inspires you and challenges you. And do more of that because... 
who you are outside of that job is who you are, you know, in that job. It's, it's just something, it should always just be something that helps you pay your mortgage and allows you to buy fancy protein shakes. I don't know. Um, it shouldn't, <laughs> it shouldn't be anything more than that. And, yeah. and I know this is a tricky situation because being in that work, there is this level of importance that you feel for yourself that you are important. And that is, you are important without the job. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard thing to, to realize and to accept because outside the job, you might just feel like you are just a regular old Joe Schmo, but you know, you're not, you are, mm-hmm. you are the type of person to go into that line of work, which means that you are already a decent human being because yeah. for, you know, a human being to do that, it's not normal. <laughs> And to to be good at it and to, to impact people's lives that way. Like that's, that's a beautiful thing to be able to be part of that. Um, But also know that it's, it can be very detrimental to the type of human being you are, you know, because Mm -hmm. empaths are tricky, tricky birds. And you got to give yourself the same compassion that you give to others on a daily basis. Um, And if you think you need to get out of it, get the fuck out. Like, don't think about, oh, my pension, who cares? You may not have a pension if you stay in it. You know, you might not even have to worry about it. You're just leaving it to your kids, you know. Get out because it doesn't matter. Like, you're going to be replaced the next day and nobody's going to give two shits about it. And that's the awful reality, but you don't owe them anything. That would be my best advice because they're just going to, they're going to replace you and then your, their lives will go on and, and you're, you'll be left picking up whatever pieces you have left over yourself. And it's not worth it. It is really not worth it. True story. Mm-hmm. Um, you said this thing and it's really about how the person I am is different from the work that I do. And they're related, right? Like obviously they're connected, but I often talk about like, the reason I know I'm good at what I do or or the reason I do what I do and I can feel good at it is because it takes things that are about me. Um, and it just happens to hone them in ways that are great. Right. So like as a person from childhood, I was always really interested in how things work and, and systems and like how things function together. I was always really curious. I was always really dedicated to things. I was always a really good friend to people, a pretty decent listener. I cared a shit ton. And I was really good at taking, um, you know, like some people are really good big picture thinkers and some people are really detail oriented. I'm really good at both. And so one of the things that that facilitates in my work is I'm really good at talking about things like how our brains work, which is this really complex, convoluted kind of thing. But I'm pretty good at distilling it into things that are like more logical and accessible for people who don't necessarily want to do a master's degree in brain science. Right. So like that's something I know that I'm good at. And so it shows up in my work and it allows me to be great at my work. But those are transferable skills that let me be good lots of things. Right. So so I do this job and I can love doing the job because it highlights things I like about me or that I'm good at. But that's not the same as me being the job. I want to say one more big thank you to Mariah for joining me today. It was such a blast to get to chat and connect. I so value her perspective and lived experience and how willing she is to jump on and share. 
As we wrap up today, I want to encourage you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback, whether for me or for Mariah, I'd be happy to pass that along. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I also love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. I continue to be so amazed and inspired by this community that we are building together. You guys are a huge part of this, and I'm so grateful for your support and that many of you are so keen to share about Behind the Line to others on the front lines. Thank you so much for sharing with those you know, and please continue to share and spread the love. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, along with links to our free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which is this awesome tool that we created to help facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make all these pieces available to you guys because the work that you do really, really matters, but way more than that, you and your life matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, but also in your very real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.